Good morning. My name's Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here at Vineyard Hopkinton. And my name's Rob, and I'm the lead pastor. And I'm Sarah. Happy Easter. I'm so glad it's a nice day. You know, I remember one of the Easter's when I was a kid. It was rainy and muddy, so my mom hid our Easter eggs around the house. You know, instead of hiding them in the dirt outside, you hide them in the dirt inside. Let me tell you, we found more than just Easter eggs behind our couch. And uh, me and my brother and sister came up with this great idea that we would hunt the Easter bunny, the Easter dust bunny, that is. And as we explored nooks and crannies of our house, we never went to under armchairs, above bookshelves. We assembled a pretty good Easter dust bunny. And at one point, the look on my mother's face told us <laughs> the game had gone too far and it was not a happy Easter moment. It's kind of a retro stay-at-home Easter. This Easter may be a peaceful day for some of you. Or you may be struggling with some real financial stress and strain, health problems, worries over your loved one's health. Whatever you're going through, we're here for you. Go to vineyardhopkinton.org forward slash corona. We want to be with you, help you out, and connect with you in whatever way we can. We're in this together. If you've been journeying with us together the Friday and Saturday, we've been living into what Jesus has done for us. Jesus, God come to live with us, to enter into our suffering and pain and loneliness, to take on death, injustice and oppression, and to ultimately rise again, to make a way forward for us into new life, that when we follow him, we are his sons and daughters. This morning, we're going to be looking at the difference that Jesus' resurrection makes. We're going to be looking at the difference his resurrection makes, especially in the life of one of his followers, Peter. You see, Peter hadn't done so well around Jesus' death. In fact, he had denied even knowing Jesus three times. He was standing around a charcoal fire outside of the government building. He said, who's Jesus? I don't know. I'm Jesus. I'm certainly not one of his followers. And then, amazingly, Jesus is resurrected. Peter sees Jesus briefly, as do many of the other disciples. And we're going to look at what happens in Peter's life. If you want to turn with us, we're going to be looking at John chapter 21. And uh, Peter's seen Jesus. And it's a couple of days later. Peter is at the Sea of Galilee and he says, You know what? I'm going fishing. And the other disciples who are with him say, You know what? We'll come too. So they went fishing caught nothing. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach. He calls to them, fellows, have you caught anything? Nope. This guy on the beach yells to them, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did. It's a huge haul of fish. Peter realizes that's Jesus. He just jumps in the water, swims on shore, where Jesus has breakfast waiting for them, cooking over a charcoal fire. After breakfast, Jesus asked Peter, Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question a second time. Do you love me? Yes. Then take care of my sheep. A third time, Jesus asked him, Do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked him the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Peter's going to become a leader in the early Jesus movement, the early church. Verse 19, then Jesus said to him just simply, come follow 
me. But before we can really dig into the difference that Jesus' resurrection makes in Peter's life and in our own life personally, Stephen, can you remind us what happened that first Easter? Of course. Uh, I love the story of the resurrection that we get from the Gospel of John. So like Sarah mentioned, we're going to be in John 20 and 21. If you have a Bible at home, feel free to grab it. Uh, open it on your phone, on your laptop, wherever you have it, and just read along with us. Uh, I want to read the first seven verses of this story. Listen to what happens. It says, Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And she said, They've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciples started out, started out for the tomb. And then Peter arrived and he went inside and he noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus's head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. So if you picture what's going on here, Mary had went with some other women to finish burying Jesus, essentially, because he died so late on Friday that it went into the Sabbath and they weren't allowed to touch dead bodies on the Sabbath. And so they went the earliest that they could. It's still dark. They're carrying all of this stuff to try and make a dead body smell good. Uh, it's weighing them down. They arrive and the first thing that they see is that the stone that should have been blocking the cave is gone. It's been moved and the cave is wide open. They ran up and they look inside and the body is gone. Now, if you're Mary, there's a few logical thoughts that you could have had at that point, right? You could have thought like she did that somebody stole the body or that they moved the body. That's one of the options. The other is that somehow Jesus didn't actually die, that he was hung for several hours that he was whipped more times than a body can take, that he was pierced in his side and that his blood flowed out, but that even with all of that, that within 36 to 48 hours, he had gained enough strength back that he could get up on his own and walk out of the tomb, pushing this huge rock out of the way when he did it. The third option is even more ridiculous, although that's what it ended up being, and that's that somehow Jesus died and came back to life, and then supernaturally left the tomb. We don't know how that part happened, but let's see what Mary discovers as she's figuring this out. Verse 14, she turned to leave and saw someone standing there, and it was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? And she thought that he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, teacher. This is incredible, right? Mary is there at the tomb. She's looking for Jesus. She sees Jesus and she has no idea who he is. She thinks that he's the gardener, which means a couple of things. It means, one, that he was definitively human. She didn't think that he was an angel. She didn't think that he was some ghost. She knew that he was a human. And the other thing is that there was something different about him that she couldn't really place until he said her name. And then at that moment, everything 
became personal for her. The story flips immediately when she hears her name called and she knows who it is that's talking to her. Uh, a theologian that does uh, some great work on the life of Jesus is a man named N.T. Wright, and he wrote a poem uh, of sorts around this idea of seeing a resurrected Jesus changing everything. Listen to what he said. The word is near and it calls our name. New knowing for the doubting mind. New seeing out of blindness grows. New trusting may the skeptic find. New hope through that which faith now knows. New knowing, new seeing, new trusting, new hope. It all comes when you encounter the resurrected Jesus. Everything becomes clear from that moment forward. Everything changes. Everything changed for Mary at that moment. But... Peter, on the other hand, was not having such a good week, was he, Rob? He was struggling a little bit at this point. Yeah, Peter was really uh, struggling. And, you know, it's always personal. When you struggle personally, it's difficult. And when you encounter Jesus personally, it's powerful. So with Mary hearing Jesus call her name, it was personal and it was powerful. And Peter... He's going in the opposite direction, building up to Easter. And I just want to share that with you because then you realize the power of the resurrection. So go back to the Last Supper. Jesus is hanging out with his disciples. And for all the disciples, life is good. But at the Last Supper is a really bad turn. Jesus points out that Judas is going to betray him. And then Peter goes in the opposite direction. And Peter says, and I'll, I'll read this. He says, I'm willing to die for you. And Jesus says, die for me? I tell you the truth, Peter. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even knew me. And that's exactly what happened. Hey, Rob, you told me a story about a rooster crowing. What was it again? Yeah, a personal, powerful story with the rooster. You know, we were on a missions trip down in the Dominican Republic, and I was with a bunch of folks here from our church. And uh, we were up in the mountainous areas. Uh, we were reaching out to some rural farmland areas, and we had gathered a small crowd of about, I don't know, 15 people. And uh, the only place we could really find to meet was at a bar, it was like a, a place where I guess the, the locals would have sat around and had a drink probably at the end of the week. Uh, so we're sitting on this little patio place at this bar with, you know, the 15 or so folks that have gathered. And I'm thinking, what am I going to preach on and what am I going to say to them? And I start telling them the story about Jesus. And then, like all preachers, I kind of got lost in the details. And I was here at this part with Peter denying Jesus. And so I, I'm talking about uh, Jesus telling Peter that you're going to deny him, and then Peter actually denying him. And so I, I'm getting into the details, and I, I just want to read one of the details here where Peter denies Jesus the first time. Uh, Peter's following Jesus being accused, he can't get right into the place where the high priest is. He's out on the periphery, and I pick it up here in John 18, 
18, and it says, uh, 17, the woman asked Peter, you're not one of the man's disciples, are you? No, he said, I'm not. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. They stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood there with them, warming himself. And then Peter denies Jesus again. And then the third time Peter denies him, it's really personal because the person says, wait, I saw you, Peter, this morning with Jesus in the garden. And Peter denies him, says, nope, it's not me. At, and as soon as Peter's denied him the third time, it says here in verse 27, again, Peter denied it and immediately a rooster crowed. Now that got very personal for Peter because all of a sudden he connected what Jesus had said just a few hours earlier. But here I am in the Dominican Republic telling this story and I think my hearers are starting to get lost and they're probably getting all blurry-eyed. And then something incredible happens. Out of the woods or the area there, the grass, this big healthy rooster walks right up to us. I mean towards the people, not away from us, towards us. And there was like a cut-off stump right next to where I was standing, or real close. The rooster climbs up on the stump, and he starts crowing. I mean, right after I just said, the rooster crowed, and Peter, you know, when Peter denied Jesus. Well, as you can imagine, everybody was like, what just happened? Did that really happen? And the power and the presence of God just fell. It became really personal. Well, Peter goes back to fishing. He goes back to what's normal and natural for him, his old job. And listen, there's nothing wrong with fishing, getting food, providing. It's all good. But Peter goes back to exactly what he was doing prior to Jesus. Peter has his comfort zone, his safety net, literally a net. I think many of us, if we feel like we've failed, it's very easy for us to just go back Go back to the old way of doing things. Maybe you feel like you haven't been a very good Christian, quote unquote. Haven't been making it to church. It's early on the weekends. You just can't believe all of those things. Maybe you have turned your back on, on God. Maybe you have experienced some real failings and, and mistakes. You know, whatever it is, when we go through those times, it's really easy for us to just go back to whatever we were doing prior to encountering Jesus. But Jesus doesn't see Peter's mistakes and his failures when he meets him on that beach around the charcoal fire when, when Peter's fishing. He doesn't hold Peter's mistakes against him. He doesn't hold my mistakes against me. You know, I also think in, in times of, of stress, it's really easy to turn to whatever's easiest, whatever coping mechanism, what, whatever feels uh, natural and, and normal to us. Many of us, as we practice stay at home, are, are living this out in graphic detail, turning to Netflix, technology, food, alcohol. And listen, there's nothing wrong with, with the, these things. I've been watching movies. I don't have to get up at 6 a.m. with the kids. You better believe I'm eating some chocolate with those movies. It's great. And there's nothing wrong with Peter cooking up some tuna steaks, some salmon fillets. That's good. But it's not good to turn to Netflix or, or fishing instead of turning to Jesus. Because our coping mechanisms can never really satisfy. They're thin substitutes for the real restoration and healing and peace 
and joy that Jesus can bring. You know, um, it is just so personal when we look at, at Peter's life. And, you know, for us personally, maybe some of us need to get off the phone. You know, find some peace and some stillness. Maybe some of us need to actually get on the phone, reach out, connect with someone. But whatever it is, God calls us forward. The spiritual life is forward. God exists in perfect love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We always see him acting and moving, creating, guiding, healing, speaking. The spiritual life is forward. We go forward in relationships and emotions. We go forward in purpose. We go forward in contentment and trust with God. So Jesus loves Peter, and he loves Peter enough not to leave him in the old life, not to leave him fishing. So he meets him and very personally restores him and calls him forwards. And Rob, I actually think that fishing nets mean something personal to you, right? Yes, it does. And again, when Jesus speaks to us personally, it's always powerful. Just uh, two months ago, I had a, a really powerful experience with, with Jesus being personal. Uh, we were in Barcelona in a missions trip, and somebody was uh, praying for me, and sort of randomly during the prayer, the person stops and he says, I feel like God has just given me a picture for you, Rob. And the picture is this. You need to cast your net on the other side. Wow. It was really powerful for me. And the reason it was powerful was because it was personal. This person giving me this picture would have had no idea of the ramifications of what he just said. But as soon as he said that, my mind raced back, you know, many years ago, probably 15 years ago, when Jesus had spoken to us. We were away, the elders of this church. We were praying. We were asking God for vision and direction. And Jesus said to one of the elders, you need to cast your net on the other side. And we did. Uh, we understood that to mean uh, no longer focusing only on Hopkinson, but also to look at Milford. And so, you know, two months ago, when this person said that, I immediately was impacted because Jesus was personal. Now, for Peter, this whole experience was deeply personal. He had gone through this really rough stage of denying Jesus. Uh, Jesus had promised Peter that he was going to build his church on him. And Peter is just out of sorts. But even on resurrection morning, Peter is like grappling with the facts, seeing the empty tomb, seeing the, the linen cloth, but it's not personal yet. It got really personal for, for Peter with this fishing story. Because with that big catch of fish, Peter's memory immediately went back to when he first met Jesus. And at that first encounter with Jesus, uh, that's what happened. He was, Jesus was in the boat and the guys couldn't catch any fish. And finally they caught this big haul of fish and Peter recognized that Jesus is really incredible. He's personal. And Peter started following Jesus. And now at the end of this uh, 
the life of the physical life of Jesus, Jesus does the same thing. He has them in a boat. They can't catch any fish, and then they catch fish. And as Sarah said, you know, Peter just came like rushing to Jesus, recognizing it must be Jesus around this charcoal fire. The second personal thing that Jesus does is Jesus knows that he needs to do some inner healing with Peter. Jesus knows that Peter was deeply wounded during that denial. So what Jesus does is he gets Peter to identify with that situation. And the first thing he does is he's identifying with a charcoal fire. It says this in John chapter 21. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Now, if I said something to you like, where were you during 9-11? It's a good chance your memory will just flash something like where you were, what the situation was. Or uh, if you have a song that just comes up that you're listening to that has a, the impact of taking your memory back to when you first heard that song or some memorable moment with that song. But likewise, it could be a different sense that's activated, the sense of smell. Uh, you might smell a certain perfume and it makes you think about somebody or identify. Well, Peter had the smell of a charcoal fire. Jesus was recreating for Peter the pain of the charcoal fire, but now he's restoring Peter and he's replacing a negative a time period, a negative experience with a positive one. And I have no doubt that this is why the charcoal fire is repeated. And then, of course, what Jesus does is he says to Peter three times, do you love me? And the third time is just so personal and so painful for, for Peter because he recognizes that Jesus is playing back on the three denials. But what Jesus is doing is he's restoring Peter personally and powerfully. And it changed Peter's life for the rest of his life. Personal experiences with Jesus are imperative. And on Easter, it's great to experience not only the facts of Jesus, but how personal Jesus is. Stephen, you had a good personal story on Easter. Tell us about it. Yeah. So yesterday was April 11th, and that would have been my dad's uh, 78th birthday. And it's also the 23rd, I think, anniversary of when I was baptized. Because when I was 12, I was baptized by my dad on Easter Sunday, which was also his birthday that year. And so it, it was just a really uh, kind of amazing thing. I, I don't know who got more out of it, me or my dad, although I would probably guess it was my dad. It's quite the birthday present for a pastor. Uh, it was pretty great for him. So every Easter, when, I, when it comes up, it brings up two things, my dad and being baptized, because my dad died 10 years ago. And so I, I think back from that last birthday that he had, which was around Easter, and I actually just saw a picture pop up on Facebook about it. Uh, and it's this picture of my dad opening a card that I had given to him uh, for his birthday. And he has the most 
horrendous, ugly laugh face uh, going on during it. We all have pictures like that. You know what I'm talking about. But he's just laughing so hard at what, whatever I had written in the card. Uh, and on Easter, I remember my dad, and I also remember being baptized. They're both connected there for me. And it makes me think of Romans 6, Uh, verse 4. If I read it here real quick, it says, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. In baptism, there's this amazing thing that happens. The the Bible says, Jesus tells us uh, um, all throughout the Bible, it points to this, that, that when we go under the water, that we die. We die to our sin, to our brokenness, to our failures, to all of those types of things. They die with us when we're under the water. And when we come back out of the water, that we're raised to new life. We participate in the resurrection of Jesus that we celebrate here at Easter, quite, quite literally almost. We go through the same process that Jesus went through on that Easter weekend so many years ago. So for me, Easter is this amazing kind of personal day of remembering these great things in my life, great people in my life. And it's also my own personal day of resurrection. And I think the amazing thing, Rob, is that that can be true for every person who is here with us, right? Absolutely, absolutely true. You know, it's Easter. The excitement that we have over Easter is that Jesus has risen. And it changed everything. The whole world changed. The calendar changed. But the facts are super interesting and super helpful. It's important that we understand the facts. And that's why we preach the Word of God. But there's another element. And that's the personalness of the resurrected Jesus. We need to not only have the facts... But we absolutely need to experience Jesus personally. Now, many of us know about Jesus, have heard about Jesus. But the question is, do you know him personally? Has Jesus transformed your life personally? Like he did with Peter. Like he's done in my life and in Stephen's life and in Sarah's life. The way that we experience Jesus personally, his love, the plans that he has for our lives, starts with us asking Jesus to live within us. And friends, I don't know if you've walked away from church, if if Jesus has become just noise to you, or if this is really a season where you are deeply connected to Jesus. But if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't experienced him personally, If Jesus just seems a whole bunch of facts and and it's not personal, invite him into your life right now. You need to ask Jesus in. It It starts with you saying, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to know you personally. And you just have to ask Jesus, Jesus, I believe you exist and I'm asking you into my life right now. And I encourage you to just do that. The, the guarantee that Jesus gives us is that he will encounter us personally. And it's going to be different for each and every one of us. My story is not going to be your story. My story is not Peter's story. 
but you will have a story of how Jesus is going to impact you personally. I just encourage you to let him in, invite him in. Maybe if you've got YouTube going, you can click the button which gives you a thumbs up and uh, we'll just track that as a way of you publicly saying, I've asked Jesus into my life. Thanks, that's so good. And we're going to have a little bit of time of worship through, through music. Um, and as we go into that, just pause with me and pray. We're going to invite Jesus in and let him be part of our story to lead and guide our story into new life. We're going to take a couple deep breaths. Let's pray together all throughout this area, separately and together. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the work that you want to do in each and one of us personally, individually. Right now we accept and receive your love and new life. We receive your restoration, Jesus. In painful moments, Lord God, like Peter had around that charcoal fire, we accept your restoration. Thank you, Jesus. And we say we want to go forwards with you. We're not turning back to the old life. We're going to go forwards with you. Would you lead and guide and direct us, Jesus? Thank you for what you've done for us. We accept and receive in Jesus' name. <laughs> 